I'm Roy Sharples. Welcome to the Unknown Origins podcast. Why are you listening to this podcast? Are you seeking inspiration? An industry expert looking for insights or are growing your career? I created the Unknown Origins podcast to provide access to insights and content from creators worldwide with inspirational conversations and storytelling about art, architecture, design, entrepreneurship, fashion, film, music, and pop culture. Alicia Samuel is the Senior Vice President of Information Technology at Holt Renfrew, considered as Canada's fashion and lifestyle retailer. Alicia has over 25 years of experience in technology leadership and innovation expertise by connecting people, processes and technologies to deliver outcomes that support the goals of businesses across several Canadian retailers and during her time in technology consulting, evangelism and business development at Microsoft and IBM. Hello and welcome Alicia. So what attracted you to technology in the first place? So for me, when I started early on in my career, I had no intention of getting into technology. I was supposed to be a lawyer. And what happened was uh, I needed, you know, I was working um, on getting some tuition money as I was going to the University of Toronto. And I had this opportunity that presented itself to work on a project for uh, one of our banks here called CIBC. And it was a technology project that involved doing technology uh, changes across uh, Canada for all of the different branches from a mainframe um, environment to a client server environment. At at that time, I was young, still in school, had no real clue about uh, what mainframes did or what client server technology was at the time. And I probably won't talk about what that OS system was because that will date me. But it was um, a project really with the intent of of me um, uh, getting some tuition money. What I didn't realize that came out of that 18-month project while I was there uh, part-time working on the project with the rest of a phenomenal team was how much I enjoyed it, what I learned, how my curiosity and passion for continuous learning evolved out of that project. It made me want more. I I wanted to understand it more. I wanted to understand the whole networking and architecture pieces of it. Um, And so that's what drove me into technology as a career. So I finished my degree uh, in political science and history, um, but also focused on building out that technology um, career and had a phenomenal experience working with companies like IBM and Microsoft. Um, As I was going through it, and learning more and working on incredible projects that I had the ability to be involved in. Um, I was also doing my technical training um, and just learning. So that that whole passion and um, want to know more came out of this opportunity that happened while I was in university. Um, It's one of those things that when I do have conversations with my kids or family members or if I'm, I'm giving a talk on women in leadership, I always talk about is that take the opportunities. You don't know where things are going to to get you, but if you're passionate, um, you love to learn, you're curious, uh, it, it can get you into incredible places. Having that kind of mindset, it's like, you, it's, it's like a toolbox that you can adapt to anything that kind of comes your way. 
But that's really serendipitous in terms of how that happened and almost <laughs> accidental. You did something for a, a, a different reason, enjoyed it so much and got so much out of it and it, it changed your direction. And it was timing as well. Uh, at that time, um, there weren't a lot of women coming out of technology or comp side programs. Yeah. Um, so CIBC took a chance on me and said, hey, there's something there. She's got potential. She's young. She's curious. She wants to learn. So we're going to invest in her to, to learn um, and to build out that technology um, career. And for me, that, you know, that became a 25-year career in technology and it's just been it's phenomenal i'm still learning still always learning there's there's so much to technology to learn um so i'm very grateful and humbled by by the experiences i've been given what was it like entering a technical career track when you did amid the general stereotypical and comparatively fixed beliefs and attitudes of command and control business cultures hierarchies and male superiority oh it was tough it was it was i was so used to being not just the only woman in the room but the only woman of color in the room so it was um quite an experience to to be in that um environment and also my age at the time too coming in um you know out of university starting to learn about all of these different things becoming a subject matter expert so quickly in some of the technologies uh and then i in turn I ended up in, in some roles um, teaching others about this technology, teaching others who who didn't look like me that were my were not my gender um, and were also older than, than me at the time. Um, so that all that, that whole experience, um, it was difficult. Um, but knowing that I trusted myself and I knew the I, I know that I earned the spot to be there made quite a quite a difference in, in um, my confidence levels. And as I was learning more, because I, I always figured I had a bit more to prove, so I'm going to work a little bit harder at it. Um, I think that also cultivated um, and became a part of, of who I am as, as I, I go through it. Like I sometimes I, you know, I sit down with my teams and they're going through and they're talking about um, some in-depth code issues that they're troubleshooting. And I'll say, oh, yeah, I want to be part of that call. <laughs> where I don't have to be part of the call, but I but I remember enjoying all of the you know the the curiosity behind yeah. um, learning about uh, what's happening or something new or what's the root cause of something so that we can fix it once and for all and move beyond that. Like th- those things still intrigue me. So you know, at my level, um, I always uh, jump in with my teams. I'm on on war room calls with them quite frequently as well if there's any issues so that I can help guide but also help listen and learn because that's a very big part of you it never stops you need to you need to enjoy that continuous learning embracing diversity and difference helps us both understand each other and ourselves and recognizing and respecting our individual differences in gender sexual orientation race ethnicity age physical abilities social and economic status religious and political beliefs and other ideologies needs to be the norm and and accepted without question and when people feel included they build meaningful social relationships have a stronger sense of belonging and inspire creativity and innovation in themselves and others but also The purpose of organizational development really should be to provide leading-edge thinking, practice, and programs. And so creating and curating a culture of thinking, learning, and doing is how people learn and pass 
on information. And the more you interact and collaborate with people from different cultural backgrounds, disciplines, industries, geographies, the more you understand, respect and value them, and the more enriched and fulfilled your life experience will be. We all benefit from learning from others. Also, Alicia, you shone a light on the importance of having an insatiable appetite for curiosity and continuous learning, and also treating failure as a step forward, as opposed to backward, or, or reason to disengage. And ultimately, this is essential to achieving personal mastery. Oh, absolutely. Um, I would say that, again, it goes back to that, that learning. That learning is things will be successful and things may fail. And um, it, it's kind of getting through those, um, those mistakes that you might make or um, that might be disruptive and knowing how to come out of it. So, okay, this happened. How do you come out of it? And that's actually, you know, one of the things that, that I'd like to, to talk about it um, with my teams is that um, I'm, I've heard this term and I'm going to use it. It's not my term. I actually heard it. So, but it's called mistake friendly. So when I'm talking to my teams, I said, you know, we're going to know what we know. We have an incredible team that has different experiences from, from different positions that they've held or different projects that they've worked on. Um, but we're going to make mistakes. And so the ability is to quickly detect what that is. And then what do you do after? How do you, how do you fix it after? And we've got the right skill set to be able to, to do that. But you have to learn from these mistakes because then you have the ability in other projects to identify the dark hallways and you know what's coming at you. Um, but even if you don't, you've got a toolkit that allows you to understand if I make a mistake, I know how to do this right. uh, and to get out of it. Um, so I think that's really important as part of your your career and your learning. Not every, if you're always learning from, you know, always doing everything successful all of the time. Well, there's a part of you that hasn't learned something. Um, and you need to be humbled by that sometimes. Now, you, you, I always say I'm mistake friendly, but but let's try and, you know, keep the, the dollar cost of that mistake down <laughs> if we can, right? Yeah. But it's, it's that build up that toolkit to know what to do to get out of it quickly so that we can lessen the impact of anything that we do. How much has being born into and brought up within a diverse community shaped your outlook on life? And considering you resided in both Toronto and Trinidad growing up. It, it was very interesting to me. Born born Canadian, uh, grew up here, um, and then I would travel back every summer, and I lived in Trinidad for, for two years and experienced um, the education system, which followed the, the British model yeah. of education. Um, and for me, the growing up in, in Canada, you know, very happy that it's you know, Toronto is incredibly diverse as it is. But going down to Trinidad and having that opportunity to see that your prime minister is is of color, that um, you know, there are people of color that have ownership of businesses that are yes. executives and all that, allowed me to see something in myself um, that. It was, as we go through, as you know, um, just some of the, the changes that are, are happening, the awareness around uh, diversity and inclusion and, and yeah. equality um, in organizations here. Well, it's a little bit different in, in the Caribbean when you're growing up because you're seeing it all around you. You're yeah. seeing a diverse mix of people. You're seeing um, execution in, in incredible ways for, for in government, in, in social, environmental, and in business. Yeah. Um, so you don't have the same... So for me, I'm like, well, I see it, I can do it. Yeah. Um, and 
And here, it's now trying to focus more on the DEI um, uh, focus to make sure that you know we are recognizing that people are different and, and ensuring that our, our opportunities are equal and that the skill set that people are bringing to the table are the right skill sets and it's representative yeah. of, 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 um, um, of just the, yeah. the demographics of, of where you're at. So it, it for me, that kind of mold did me in the fact that I always knew that I could do whatever I wanted. Um, it, it, it didn't hold me back. Um, I, you know, I talk to my kids all the time and I say, you could be a prime minister of Canada if you like, you could do whatever you want. Right? Yeah. So, um, so I think that that, uh, that has helped me, um, especially growing up, you know, um, here and, and really kind of navigating, um, what it is to be, uh, um, uh, a woman of color, uh, in, um, a high tech world and trying to navigate getting to where I, where I am in my career, uh, based on my skill sets, experience, um, you know, my ability to, uh, to lead, yeah. um, and, and getting, and understanding that a lot of, of who I am and the confidence that I have comes from being able to see, you know, what, what, yeah. and know, and, you know, and also being able to know that I can, I can execute and do these things. That must have been very liberating. And also just that ability from a young age to really have the opportunity to fully embrace diversity and, and difference. It's appreciating the, and being aware of each person's individuality yes. and not judging them because of color, religion, you know, all of those different things. With the organization and with the DEI programs that we have here, a lot of it is around education and awareness of everyone that um, that you work with that are diverse. So there's a there's a lot of learning for all of us, right? Um, for 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 me to understand uh, other religions, because you know I'm just regular yeah. Catholic, right, girl? So uh, so you know I pick up the Quran and I read it, and I was like, oh my god, this is beautiful, right? Yeah. It's like it's so similar to a Bible, like in, in just like the whole notion of what actually comes out of it. But it's it's it goes back, Roy, to that ability to learn and appreciate humanity, yes, and appreciate you know why we exist in this world, and and why it's on purpose yeah. why would why there's different colors why there's you know different races the different religions different yeah. genders right and just going in there with that just pure humanistic kind of i want to know more about you and not judge you because you may look differently yeah. or or have a different religion or or whatnot or be uh you know male female or or just you know, whatever you yeah. identify with. So I, I think it goes back to, um, and it's a skill that I'm trying to do with the kids is that as they grow up, it comes back to get, you know, get to know other diverse cultures other than yourself. You know, yeah. it, it's learn about the differences, but, and appreciate the differences that, that people have and look for the commonalities in your humanity. Right. And so that's kind of the, the philosophy that I have. And, you know, I, I see that coming out of some really good DEI programs, too, are, are kind of basing them in that, in that philosophy. Look for the commonalities in humanity. So what is your creative process in terms of how do you make the invisible visible by dreaming up ideas, mm -hmm. developing them into concepts, and then bringing them to actualization? For me, I've always been a very visual person. Um, and... A lot of my process and thinking about 
an issue at hand is to try and figure out how to do how how to how to creatively get to a solution that is a um, in our speak it's a MVP minimal viable product right yeah least amount of effort most most value um, and so I found that the traditional means of you know going through and and um, researching reading the documentation interviewing all you know all of those different things. It, for me, what works better is that alignment and collaboration with people that I know that are incredibly smart that are around me and bringing them into the process with me so that we could whiteboard together on what it is our our end goal is, but you know kind of work do a work back to that by creating just these mind maps yeah. um, of what if, what if we did this? Or what if we turned it on this side? Or what if we looked at it this way? And, you know, all with the guiding principle of what it is that we're trying to execute on. Um, and I, that works very well for me for the way that I think, because as I said, I am, I'm very much a visual person. So I love bringing in that kind of um, uh, fast, way, fast way of getting to um, a solution with a collaborative team that will bring in ideas that I hadn't thought about. That's why you want to have a diverse team around you, right? You want that different thinking um, into what it is that you're trying to solve for. Because I know that, you know, I may have seen some things or I may have a 25-year-old career, but I don't know. Uh, Like, there is still so much that I don't know. And that's where um, I have, like, I always make sure that the team that I have are, are are great thinkers that bring different experiences um, and that can add value to the the conversations that we're having while we're trying to solve. And we listen. I mean, it's very, very hard sometimes to to sit down there and it's like, okay, what's your opinion? And you really take it when you're like already in your mind, you've already solutioned it, right? You got to take a step back sometimes and and allow the process to help you get there. And it can get there rapidly, very quickly. Um, But uh, it's just, that's kind of my approach to, to, um, bringing the the design thinking into the solutioning um, and making sure that the team that I have that are, are being part of this process are bringing their ideas to the table to help um, you know, help us help us kind of figure out a, just a new and interesting and innovative way of, of approaching a problem. And it really comes down to the people that you're involving in the process. I don't want somebody that's going to think exactly like me. Exactly. Um, I want somebody that that is going to happily debate some of what we're putting on the table and get us to think in different ways. Um, so I think that that has to be part of the, the process. And oftentimes you find that um, when teams are pulled together, you people are looking for for similar people to be in the process. Yeah. I, I go, I'll go the opposite. You know, I want to take, I want to take that opportunity if depending on how complex the issue is and what it is I'm trying to solve to bring in um, other people with different ways of thinking um, that can drive out some of the things that, that, may not have been thought out. And sometimes it's difficult, you know, you're seen as a senior leader in the team that's the, and everyone's looking to you for your expertise. Well, I'm kind of looking for everybody to, to, to allow them to voice um, their, their expertise and what they've seen as well so that we can drive to a solution together. You're instilling the creative atmosphere there so that people feel safe and secure to create or ideate mm-hmm. without fear. Yeah. What are the key skills needed to be a technology leader? Well, I think you've got to be a very active listener. <laughs> you've got to be able to um, communicate to the team um, in a way that <clears throat> instills and inspires um, and motivates, especially in this day and age coming out of the pandemic, where uh, such a significant uh, life event that has impacted everyone. 
um, from a from a, a, a mindfulness and from a well-being perspective, I'm almost very cautious of that with the teams because um, everyone's gone through so much. So how do you inspire and motivate becomes really important on the team. Uh, how do you get the team behind what it is that your strategic objectives are for an organization is important. Um, being able to kind of navigate through some of the complexities um, that that may be thrown at you uh, and in, and involve the right stakeholders and build those relationships in order to um, execute well uh, on the on the issue at hand so there's a there's a there's a lot to um, leading a team but it's also how is the team going to lead you like um, really understanding that you're hiring a, um, a team around you that's going to bring different perspectives and different experiences and being the kind of leader that, that, that can understand to, and have that humility to be able to understand what that, what the team is bringing to, but also be able to lead and execute and get things done. Um, so that balance, that happy balance between the two is really important. Um, uh, so there's a, I believe it's Forbes, and I'll have to uh, take a, uh, a look. There's an article about uh, Ted Lasso, what kind of leader he is um, in terms of how he builds relationships and his humility, um, um, his his ability to be humble um, as a leader. And then, so all of those great uh, aspects of him. The question in the in the article was, is he a great leader? And the answer is yes. But he also needs to be able to execute, right? So, for, on the relationship building, on the um, on the just how he is as he interacts with his team and how he recognizes the potential in everyone. Yeah. Um, there's also that that piece of um, uh, it's around competition. You you're in it to win it, right? Yeah. So you've got it. You got to focus on that piece of the competition piece as well as that humility, um, humble. Uh, servant leadership aspect of, of leadership. So bringing those two skill sets together becomes really important. I actually loved that that article. I thought it was really great. And I loved it also. His leadership style is built on empathy and relationship um, building and putting the needs of the team first, which promotes the message of the, the power of togetherness, which is countercultural to the the stereotypical corporate management or sports management style of stereotypically authoritarian, autocratic management style in which the, the, the coach, the manager, has the total decision-making power and absolute control over his, his team and subordinates. With And they make decisions with little to no participation from anyone else. That's why I thought the article was so interesting because it's really dissecting him because it's such a popular show to watch, right? It's dissecting, is he a good leader? And asking that question because he's got a, 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 he's trying to to achieve a certain outcome. Yeah. Um, And how is he going about it without really knowing that much of the environment that he's in there? Because he's learning as well. Right. So it's, it was very interesting to read and, and, uh, establish that but at the at the root of that it's about um uh being humble enough to know that you've got to engage a team that brings diverse thought to the table 
that will be able to be competitive and be able to execute and to get it done, but also drive out that um, that critical thinking and that design thinking yeah. that's required to be innovative. And it's very hard to do. And it's hard to get teams like that. It's almost like I, I usually call them, you know, my unicorns when I yeah. can find I find a technologist that can bring all of the different pieces like that together and they're they're out there. So you're in a time machine and it's going backward. Based on your lessons learned to date, what are the pitfalls to avoid and the keys to success that you can share with aspiring technology executives? For me, it was getting a mentor early, early on. I didn't, I didn't get a mentor, um, and I wish I had. Um, I think about networking and sharing, uh, sharing, um, sharing thoughts and ideas with other individuals who are in similar positions. Um, and really kind of working out that relationship management piece of, of, the, of your self, not even in a role, but of who you are and how you learn um, from other people's experiences. So like those shared groups that are trusted networking groups that you have um, where you can ask the, the, the question, if I was in a situation like this, what would you suggest or what would you do? You know, so mentorship yeah. becomes really, really important. Um, and I kind of did that a little bit later on in, in my, my career. Um, I just see that that is so much value in, in having to do that earlier. Um, one of the other things is even though I was in technology and I was jumping into a world that, that, was unknown when I really, when I first started and then I started getting confidence, I still wasn't confident. Um, I still questioned myself. I still questioned what people would see in me when they look at me. Um, if they would think that I would be a driver of, um, of, uh, getting things done. Right. And so I always felt that I had to prove myself. So I think I would have said, you know, you'd be a little bit more confident than, than what you were. Um, because you, you're you know smart can get it done you have experience um and trust in those things and be your authentic self then the other thing on authenticity is that i wish i was more authentic a, a little bit earlier too because for me the when i was when i was coming up in my career there was a whole different mindset to um organizations where there was organizational hierarchy um and in turn organizational power so you you always felt that you were in a in in a room and you you knew what your position was and you kind of looked to your manager to speak and you know things like that right um and that was kind of the just the side of the times that's how it was but for me when i you know i when i got into a room or or what i believe in which is a lot of uh, around servant servant leadership um is that when you have and you're building your teams your team's how you work with your teams and how you listen to them and, and how you take, you know, um, their thoughts and their ideas and work with it to in the solution is a little bit different. So, so essentially your title goes out the window and you're sitting down there and you're being humble in front of a team saying, listen, we got to execute and deliver on this and show value. How are we going to do that? Right. That and engage your team to be able to do that for when I was, when I was coming up in my career, that was not the way that things were done. Um, so I always felt that I wasn't being my authentic self because I was caught up in this rigor of a hierarchical structure. Um, and that, of course that's, that's changed and, and changed direction. So it just, for me on how to navigate, I think I would say just you know, maintain your authentic self. And, and, um, I'll give you an example. There was one time I was in, um, in a position and I asked for feedback all the time and I said, 
um, you know, can I just get some feedback of what do you think you're, um, I'm doing or where I, I need to work uh, a little bit harder on? And the way that my personality is, um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to come in the, to a room and be the, this is the way things get done. Let's do it like this, right? Yeah. I'm going to listen, observe, engage, uh, make decisions where I need to make decisions, engage the team in order to, to help us get there. Um, so one of the comments was, well, you need to be, uh, and I won't use the words that were used to me, but essentially if I translate it, it was, I have to be incredibly, I have to be more aggressive like a man. So, and so I'm like, no, I don't think that I need to. And I was so happy that I said that. I said at the time without really understanding how to be your authentic self, I actually said, no, I don't think I need to. I'm not going to change the way that I am as a leader. Good for you. Um, And I was so happy that I, that I had said that um, because that's what was associated with successful women was seeing uh, women that were coming in, you know, Guns ablaze, yeah. you know, just like yeah. coming in and, and setting the settings. And that, that wasn't me. So um, I, I was going to do it differently. And I was so happy that I had said that to, to that executive. So thank you for your feedback, but I'm not going to change the way that, that I lead because I like to engage people. And I don't think that um, especially a woman of color needs to come in and be more aggressive um, given the, the um, you know, some of the, the, the stigmas, the, the, the conversations around um, assertive versus aggressive, yeah. especially with women. What's your vision for the future of technology in the fashion industry? We could be so disruptive in um, re- well, in retail in general, but but in the fashion industry, there's so many ways to to use technology, and I, I think about it in the context of what is um, what is the industrial revolution 4.0 bringing to the table, right? So we all hear about, you know, IR4 and you hear about IOT and uh, quantum um, and you hear about uh, um, AI and ML and all of the technologies that are coming in. And, and the difference in this revolution is that uh, we had technology in the last one, but now it's this interaction of how, how this technology is going to happen between each other. That's going to cause um, disruption in the way that we do things. When you think about like 3D printing and, you know, all of those yeah. different things. So we have an ability to use technology in uh, an incredible way that engages. When you look at what retail is really all about um, and you want to engage a customer, you want them for life. And you're trying to do that amongst a lot of competition and a lot of, a lot of um, other retailers vying for the same person's attention. And you can see it in your email when you're going through and you're seeing yeah. like, you know, 50 emails of, you know, this coupon, get 10% off, do this, do that, you know? Yeah. So it's really becomes the um, engagement of, and not just the communication to a customer, but the engagement of a customer. And it's across multi-channel as we've all heard, right? So what are you going to do in brick and mortar? What are you going to do online? That's really going to engage somebody to say, Hey, I want to shop with you because you know me, you know what, what I'm looking for. You know, it's, wouldn't it be lovely when you have like a birthday that, that uh, you don't have to remember about it, but you're going to get something. Hey, by the way, why don't you come and pick up this basket for so-and-so's birthday? Um, like that true engagement. Well, the technology behind that exists and we have an ability to, um, to use that to, to do great things. And if there's one thing the pandemic has taught us, it's taught the whole world is how to use technology when other means aren't available, you know, how do you get online? How do you, how do you um, purchase the things that you need yeah. when you can't get out of your house? So I'm not saying there's a comfort level with it. I'm just saying that there's a different way of, 
of of um, utilizing technology now uh, in the last couple of years that we've we've learned the um, um, so now as we look forward we've got such a great opportunity in uh, in technology to to do even more um, and it's a matter of taking that creativity and understanding how you could be innovative in the ways of work the way that we currently uh, do things having a social conscience and empathy for the environment by continuously managing innovation that powers the products you design, make and sell and the businesses you run by caring deeply about the world we live in, its inhabitants' inclusivity and the pursuit of making people's lives better and moving society forward. A friend and fellow entrepreneur in sustainable fashion shared his insights recently about the fashion industry and how it produces more carbon emissions than all international flights and maritime shipping combined. 20% of global wastewater comes from textile production and more than three-fifths of clothing ends up in incinerators or landfill within a year of being produced. Corporations, and in fact everyone, needs to be educated and to recognise that the environment is for everyone to enjoy and to embed sustainability and the principles of the circular economy as unpeachable pillars of humanity and to encourage sharing to reduce conflict. As a leader in the fashion industry, what are you doing to address the challenges of sustainable fashion and embedding the principles of the circular economy and what you do and how? Well, that all, all plays into the circular economy, right? So yeah. we, as we look at our ESG policies, need to understand what we're doing, how to, how to lessen the impact of, of things getting into the landfill, as you said, as an example, especially in textiles um, and apparel. Um, and so I have to say, my organization is incredible at how they look at the um, material um, sustainability, what we use in, the, in our clothing. Um, they look at the vendors that we work with. Um, they look at the ability to drive out the circular economy. And what does that mean? How do you reuse clothing or gently use clothing? So you'll see some organizations coming up with um, marketplaces that allows for um, you know, a gently used item to be resold into, into the market so that you get more uses out of clothing before it actually hits into a landfill. Um, or you uh, take something that has been produced with these materials, drive, take out those materials when it's returned into your organization and create something new, right? So that it becomes that circular economy. That, that is so important um, that, we, that we need to focus and figure out, you know, how, how to be innovative around these different pieces. I, when I think about technology as an example, we have always taken um, our laptops and we've always put it into recycling programs, right? That's, that's just a yeah. standard thing. You take a look, you put it into recycling programs or if they're, they're gently used and can be used into other communities, um, then you donate those, that into the community so that the, the, they're still being used and, and it lessens the time to getting into a, land, uh, a landfill. But there's more that can be done in a circular economy from doing just recycling and getting carbon credits for, for it, right? There's, there's more of um, how do we as an organization take out some of these components and these parts and, how do, you know, th th this is where we need that creative um, thinking on, you know, how do you break it down and reuse it and make something out of it. And um, it's not just 
how we're approaching it. It's also how we are attracting a talent to talent to our organizations because um, talent is looking for organizations that are doing um, um, more for ESG programs. That that part of that's part of what they look for when they're looking to to join an organization. It's part of what I looked for. Yeah. To be quite honest, when I was joining uh, this new organization, um, I wanted to see what their their policies on sustainability were. Um, so even just to attract the right talent into your organization requires that, that you, you've got to be yeah. thinking about what you're going to be doing for a circular economy and how that's driving um, uh, out what you need in the business and how you're reporting against it. Just how soon is the future? One thing for sure is the future is unwritten and everything is possible. Do you want to learn more about how to create without frontiers by unleashing your creative power? Then consider getting Creativity Without Frontiers. How to make the invisible visible by lighting the way into the future. It's available in print, digital and audio on all relevant book platforms. You have been listening to the Unknown Origins podcast. Please follow, subscribe, rate and review us. For more information, go to unknownorigins.com. Thank you for listening.